And on the phone with me, Matt Orr, an associate professor of biology at OSU Cascades. Matt, good morning. Morning. Thanks very much for being here with us this morning. First of all, tell me a little bit about you and your background. Um, I'm a biology professor at OSU Cascades, and my main area of study is um, disturbed ecosystems. And um, I research um, ecosystem disturbance and also ways of um, trying to restore um, ecosystems back to a better functioning conditions. So that's a field called restoration ecology. Okay. And uh, on your, you're going to be giving the um, Science Pub talk next Tuesday, and your topic is Science, Spirituality, a Sustainable Future. Explain that to me. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, well, um, I think, you know, not only me, but scientists in general have um, grown frustrated over the amount of information that we have about the state of our planet particularly the um, states, the state of our global ecosystems, their ability to support our well-being. And, um, you know, despite the information that we have of, of the trajectory that humanity is on, um, things aren't changing fast enough. Um, and so I became interested um, in, the, in the idea of what motivates humans to, um, you know, make changes in their lives. And, um, and, and I began looking into um, research on the history of uh, how religions have functioned to help societies um, deal with crises and emerge from crises. And in that context, there are a lot of parallels with historical cycles, and these go all the way back to really the dawn of human agriculture and the dawn of urbanization and have continued into the present day. And there are a lot of parallels with these historical cycles and what we're going through today with the environmental crisis. Can you give me and an so example be, of one of the, the historical cycles you're talking about? Sure. Um, there's uh, a fair amount of research from the anthropological and psychological literature that monotheism probably arose as a consequence of urbanization, when humans moved or transitioned from a hunter-gatherer existence to a more settled agricultural existence. Um, hunter-gatherer tribes don't have um, omniscient punishing deities or moralizing deities. And it's thought that in those small hunter-gatherer societies, which never grew above about 150 people, people were basically able to um, enforce morality mostly face-to-face. You know, your neighbor sort of knew who you were. You were living with the same group of people your entire life. And um, and you really didn't, it would really be not beneficial for you to damage your reputation amongst that group of known people. But when humans began living in, in larger settlements and larger societies, um, there was a degree of um, anonymity that occurred that um, made it easier for people to um, behave badly and basically get away with it. And so it's thought that the rise of um, omniscient punishing deities um, was a way of trying to get people to behave, um, you know, behave in a way that was conducive to a smoothly running society, despite the fact that um, not necessarily everybody had an eye on them. So it's sort of 
an eye in the sky, so to speak. All right, so your view is that man created God rather than God creating man. Um, yeah, I think that would be my view. Um, but that's not to say that there's not a God out there. I mean, I think a lot of different societies believe in a, in a higher being, and um, you know, there are a lot of different religions believe in a higher being. And, you know, there may very well be um, some sort of higher intelligence out there that we don't fully understand. So, you know, that's not to say that um, there's not a higher being out there. Here's a quote from the paragraph that, that I got, that during this Earth's present geological epoch, it's defined by a decline in environmental ecosystems, as well as by human responses to the decline in the forms of anxiety, guilt, grief, and illness. So sh- draw me the connection between what's happening with the environment and and humans' reaction to it. Yeah, well, this, this is, uh, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier about these historical cycles uh, that, that societies go through in response to stresses. And um, there's an anthropologist at the University of Pennsylvania named Anthony Wallace, who is a specialist in Native American cultures, and he defines these patterns called revitalization movements. And basically, societies can cruise along in a pretty steady state with everything going well, but then they can be stressed by things like military defeat, um, but also um, uh, floral floral faunal change or even climate changes. Um, And he defined these patterns back in the 50s prior to a lot of our present environmental ills, um, based on his studies of uh, what he said were hundreds of different um, societies. Um, and part of that pattern involves, um, it, when, when, when a disruption hits a society, um, a, a lot of people respond in ways that are consistent with some of the responses that we see, this, see today to climate change. So there are sort of these new terms in the lexicon these days, um, things like eco-grief, um, eco-anxiety. There's a term called solastasia, which um, applies to the disorientation that people feel when, they're, um, you know, when their well-known environment begins to change under climate change. Um, there, are, um, there are different psychological alliances that are forming between psychologists and psychiatrists. Um, You can go to websites where they talk about helping people to deal with climate anxiety. Um, And so there's a lot of real parallels, and I'll be talking in more detail about that Mm -hmm. um, in my talk, between, you know, this general pattern of what Anthony Wallace called um, the cycles of revitalization and what we're going through today. Um, And one of the things that he said was that to get out of these, these sort of troughs of, you know, human existence in which things aren't going very well, um, a lot of it depends on people changing their um, their fundamental, what he called the maze way, which is their fundamental outlook on themselves and on the world. And, um, and I think to some extent that's what's lacking today in terms of dealing with our environmental problems. Yeah, I was going to say that it's so far I'm seeing a I can evidently see the the downward spiral or if you will the downside of the cycle. I'm not sure. Do you see how do you see the upside uh, coming? Do you see that in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, 
Yeah, so another thing that I'll be talking about is the the many, many ways that um, traditional religions are currently responding to the environmental crisis. And when I was researching this, um, I just came across one surprise after the other. I, it's really, it's actually very surprising to me that this isn't better covered in the media, because traditional religions are doing a lot to respond to the environmental crisis. And we tend to think of, um, you know, environmentalists as responding to the environmental crisis, but we have a lot of very long-standing traditional religions that are responding. So, for example, um, the P- Pope Francis has an encyclical letter that is uh, a very long and very detailed, um, um, in a way you call it maybe even an environmental manifesto. Um, and I had never even heard of it until I started looking into this. Um, and I'll provide some other examples. Basically, every major religion now has a faith statement on the environment or on ecology. Um, so I'll talk about ways that traditional religions are responding. I'll also talk about ways that um, using a sort of more general framework for thinking about religion, that people who um, aren't necessarily tied to a traditional religion can look at this. And this is important because um, more and more people are leaving traditional religions these days. And so I, I see this maybe not, o- not only as a way of reviving um, our environment, but also a way of, um, in, a, in a way, reviving people's spirituality and, and getting past maybe what you could, you could potentially consider a, a, a somewhat stagnant phase in uh, human spirituality in which it hasn't necessarily come to terms with uh, many of the crises that society now faces, and also it hasn't come to terms with some of the um, more recent scientific information that's emerged over the last couple hundred of years. And so I'll be trying to, t- I'll be trying to hit on all of that during my talk. I mean, I've only got a limited amount of time, but right. I think I'll be able to raise enough of that to get people thinking about it. And speaking of time, we're out. So tell me where this is going to take place, Matt. Uh, this is at Worthy Brewing. At Worthy Brewing, next Tuesday, doors open at 5, presentation starts at 6.30. Matt Orr, biology professor at OSU Cascades. Matt, thanks for spending some time with us today. Okay, thank you, and thanks for your questions.